0: You're listening to the UI podcast by the Swedish Institute of International Affairs.
1: Good evening, and very much welcome to this evening's seminar entitled Winter is Coming. My name is Martin Krog. I'm the head of the Russia and Eurasia program here at the Institute. And it is my great pleasure to introduce our speaker here to this evening, Mr. Gary Kasparov. Um, our speaker this evening requires no introduction. Mr. Garry Kasparov spent 20 years as the world's leading chess player. In 2005, he retired from chess to lead and support the Russian pro-democracy opposition. Um, He will uh, be uh, giving his presentation this evening, uh, also together with his co-author, Mr. Mig uh, Greengard, who is here with him. And last but not least, it is also my pleasure to mention the generous support by the Bertil Olin Foundation, which made this seminar possible. Mr. Garry Kasparov, you have all the time at your disposal, as you wish. Much welcome, and I suggest we welcome you with a round of applause.
0: Thank you. Thank you. So thank you for having me here. So thank you, Morten. Thank you, Madras Eklov, and uh, Institute for organizing this event. Um, so uh, by the way, just looking at the window. It's a very fitting day for my lecture, Windows here. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, um, um, also, I guess you hear you talking about Russian cold coming from the east. Yes, I hope I'll bring some warm coming from the west. <laughs> um, and also, just uh, looked at the. Uh, latest, uh, the results of the of the last uh, Winter Olympiad and uh, I guess not everybody was happy with this uh, Sweden performance there, but at least you won, you know, we had some good results in Bi- Biathlon. And uh, considering the topic of this conversation, Putin and Russia, it's very good winning gold medals in skiing and shooting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and uh, um, I mean, these days I'm I'm traveling constantly around the world. So just uh, doing lectures. Uh, uh, from, for instance, from here I go to Copenhagen and just talk about mostly now. These days I talk about AI. So that will be a big conference by Deloitte, uh, Nordic, um, and uh, uh, you know sometimes I even talk about chess uh, uh, and chess and education. Um, and uh, just before I move into the into the uh, lecture proper. So um, I wanted just to um, talk a little bit about definitions, just to semantics. Um, because I don't feel very comfortable by uh, warning people about the threat coming from Russia. So at the end of the day, it's my country. I was born and raised in the Soviet Union. I was the Soviet uh, chess champion and also Russian chess champion. I, I um, probably am the most decorated Soviet Russian athletes in history, if you consider chess a sport. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, it's—I want people just to make clear distinction between Vladimir Putin and his uh, uh, criminal regime and Russia, the state of Russia, and um, attacking Putin and just did, uh, revealing the true uh, colors of this of this uh, regime and the threat that um, he's presenting, not only to. Russia, people of Russia, but also to neighboring co- countries and to the rest of the world. Um, it's not being anti-Russian, but I believe it's being, it's being pro-Russian. It's being uh, um, a Russian patriot. Because I think the only way for my country to, uh, to, jo- to join the family of civilized nations and to play a positive role uh, in, in solving world affairs, not only, not only creating problems, uh, it's, um, it's to get rid of this regime. Much uh, so, so <laughs> <laughs> strange coincidence, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So um, now let's just move this to the to this. yeah, yeah. So uh, it's the title of the book that uh, was partially responsible for the lecture uh, title here. So winter is coming. So the book was released in two thousand fifteen. And uh, um, of course, many of you, and I guess that's the, considering the average age of the audience, I don't think that many fans of Game of Thrones here. Yeah, the good thing is that normally when I talk to young audiences, I have to to, to tell them what was Soviet Union. (laughs) Uh, Here I will be saved from from telling you, you know, what was the Cold War, Soviet Union, other things that uh, unfortunately the young generation that is so much concentrated on this new TV series uh, has has forgotten. Um, so um, it's um, it was just reflection. Uh, it, there were two things that's 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 that I want to uh, say um, uh, regarding this title. Uh, and actually, when Megan and myself we just walked into the uh, into uh, the um, office of the publisher and uh, put on the table an idea of of this new book. So um, and anybody of you who wrote a book knows that. It's highly unlikely the publisher will uh, be thrilled by your first suggestions for the title. Normally, it takes 10 iterations before, before they, they, they agree on something. This time, they just looked at uh, at, at the title and said, Why is winter coming? I said, Look, two things. One is this, yeah, considering the Game of Thrones, is, it's, the, um, it's the impending threat of the winter, but it's not just climate change, it's more like the, the winter that could cause real damage if we are if we're complacent, if we're not, um, if we are not uh, uh, paying attention to the threat. So the outcome of this winter will depend very much on, on, on us. That's, that's the connection with the, with, with, with the famous book and TV series. But another one actually is more important. Is um, In 1992, I'm sure many of you read this uh, very famous book, The End of History by Francis Fukuyama. And uh, 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 the book uh, claimed that uh, the liberal democracy has won and that the rest would be just a so matter of technique. So we'll just build a better future. And I have to admit that I I, I share this optimism. Um, now what what's happened? Now 25 years later, we understand that history history is not linear. It goes in in seasons. And I wanted just to emphasize in this title, winter's coming because yeah we we thought it would uh, it would never come back. We thought that uh, that we 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 left everything behind us. But what uh, what. Uh, um, what we found out that the that evil, evil doesn't die. It could be buried temporarily under the rubbles of Berlin Wall, but if we lose our vigilance, if we turn to be complacent, it sprouts out. So that's why I thought the winter's coming was, was, was a relevant title. Uh, and uh, now it's not just because of the snow outside. The, uh, the winter is here because um, I, <laughs> I've been warning about threats coming from Russia, uh, Putin's Russia uh, and uh, what, what could be the, the, the next targets of Putin's aggression, though the book never mentioned Syria, the book never mentioned Donald Trump. But between the lines you could, you could read that it was not if Putin would attack somewhere. The question for me was when and where. And considering the resources that he had at his disposal and also um, um, his desperate need for victories, even visual uh, virtual victories I- illusions, but very important to demonstrate that uh, he was um, he was an invincible leader, somebody who could uh, who could uh, um, change things not only in Russia, not only in the so called near abroad but uh, around the world uh, and he made his uh, global reach a very important, if not the most crucial part of his domestic propaganda so um, you could only look at the map and to figure out so what would be the, so the next ne- ne- next target of of um, his attack. Um, it's uh, also that's quite ironic that when I uh, uh, when the book was released and Meg and I were on the tour in the United States, so uh, talking about the book. Uh, so in some places like Santa Barbara, it was quite odd to talk about winter with pl- plus 25 around. <laughs> so because if uh, if young students in uh, in uh, uh, Wisconsin, asked about you know what was Soviet Union. People in California asked what was winter. <laughs> um, um, and uh, uh, very often, you know, at the end of the lecture, people turn to IBM Deep Blue supercomputer AI. Okay, two years later, we published a new book, Deep Thinking. So about IBM, supercomputer, AI, and my fight, and my collaboration with machines. And now, at the end of every lecture, they want to ask about Putin. <laughs> so, so just uh, it's things, many things have changed in America and in Europe after the 2016 elections, because as predicted, as, been, uh, as we have been predicting for years, like people like me and, and late Boris Nemtsov, and by the way, today is the three years since uh, he was uh, killed which is more like public execution in front of Kremlin to send a message to everybody. So exactly three years ago, we lost this, this great leader of Russian, Russian opposition. Um, uh, and today, by the way, in DC, will be, uh, they will be renaming a plaza in front of Russian embassy. So that's the, that's the least they can do. So I have no doubt that one day we'll have the monument for him in Moscow, uh, just to recognize his great contribution for, um, for um, democracy and uh, um, the bright future of, of our country. It's, uh, it's almost painful for me to think that at one point, 20 years ago, many considered him to be Yeltsin's successor. He was the first Deputy Prime Minister. And imagine what would be Russia if Boris Nemtsov, not Vladimir Putin, would be selected as a successor. But, okay, those are the dreams, and uh, we just have to go back to this, to this, to this planet. Um, so, um, now, um, Speaking about the record, also, it's the, uh, uh, I don't want to just to uh, uh, start this game. I say, she says, he says, we said. But, you know, my record is very clear. First article about threat that Vladimir Putin was posing to Russia and to the world, I published 17 years ago, January 4, 2001, in the Wall Street Journal. And uh, um, uh, because many people now, all of a sudden, they became harsh critics of, of, of Putin. But you know, I just want to say that uh, my record is impeccable. And, uh, uh, um, and it's uh, one of the reasons is because, I, again, as I said, I was born and raised in the Soviet Union. I, you know, I know what is KGB not from the books. I, um, uh, and I could see that's the, uh, the collapse of Soviet regime. And also, what's important, I could witness, just to create great pain, the resurrection of the KGB monster out of the ashes. How many of you could even consider in August 1991, when we all were you know, in joyful mood celebrating the collapse of, of the Soviet Union, uh, of the communist regime, yet yeah, Soviet Union existed for, for, for four more months, and the, when the jubilant crowd was bringing down the statue of the founder of KGB, Felix Dzerzhinsky, how many of you could bet a dollar to? Uh, uh, to to a future proposition that n- nine years later, a KGB lieutenant colonel would be the president of the country. So it did happen, and again, there are many lessons that we have to learn, and we'll just talk about it. Um, but uh, uh, the consequences of Vladimir Putin uh, uh, becoming president of Russia, uh, and for me, as I said, it it was unmistakable. There were unmistakable signs writing on the wall about the future. Simply because, unlike many others in Russia, or especially in the West, I just simply, I I was listening to what he said. Now, what can you expect from somebody who, uh, while meeting his former colleagues at um, KGB headquarters at Lubanka, even being yet a prime minister, Yeltsin's successor, but not yet president, said bluntly, quote, unquote, once KGB is always KGB. There was no former KGB uh, um, officers. Uh, and then as the um, president of Russia, his first act was to bring back the Soviet anthem. Uh, you may say symbolic, big deal, but symbolism is so important for countries like Russia. So it was a clear sign, so that's of his preferences. And he, he added uh, um, to, to this act um, that the collapse of the Soviet Union was the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century. Now, combining these things, and I just—I'm not talking about other things. This immediate attack on, on independent press, and this is the way he he, ha, he decided to handle Russian affairs by concentrating more on power in his hands. So, but considering even what he said, just you know, following you know his, his, the, the following the the um, the guidelines from his own speeches, I had no doubts what he would do if given the chance. And he did. And one of the reasons that the, the free world, uh, uh, as it happened with dictators very, many times before, didn't want to believe him because it was, the truth was uh, very um, mm, uncomfortable. Because if you recognize that it was a threat, you have to look for, for, for different ways to, to uh, stop it, to uh, confront it, to deter it. And everybody wanted to do the business. Everybody wanted to see only the bright side. Ignoring this, 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 this rights on the wall that were quite obvious uh, for us. And uh, as a result, now, just wanted to show, it's the it's a Freedom House map. And uh, I, as the chairman of the Human Rights Foundation based in New York, so where I, I, was, uh, I had an honor to Uh, follow the footsteps of uh, my great hero, Václav Havel, when he passed away. So I was offered to to take this this, this position. Um, So we're following and monitoring the the situation in the world. It's actually Freedom House map, but we have been engaged in working with dissidents uh, um, uh, around the globe. And uh, it's it's quite tragic that the democracy is on decline for certain straight years. 13 years, we could see the, uh, the map of the free world that has been shrinking. Um, now, the, the map doesn't look that bad, because America and Australia are big. But if you just look at the, at, at, at the number of people, so there's roughly 13% of, of the pop- of population on, on, on the globe live in the free world, 13%. So the number of people who live just in totally unfree countries is... We're talking about billions and billions. And, and we could see that the trend actually is, just, is, is, is still negative. It's not that we have traditionally countries that were sort of under the, uh, a spell of dictatorship. Say, Russia, it was, it was a short period of democracy, but in the, now it's sliding back. I mean, we lost Turkey. Turkey is no longer democratic. It's just it's an, it's another dictatorship now. It's a one-man dictatorship, the man who just decides everything, and, and it's, that's still a member of NATO. Fifteen years ago, everybody talked about uh, about chance of Turkey joining European Union. Now, it's it's in, 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 uh, it, it's in alliance with, with Iran and Russia, decimating Syria and just you know playing games that have nothing to do with freedom and democracy. Uh, China is pretty bad, but it's not just you know it's bad; it's getting worse because uh, for many for for two decades they had a rule of 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 changing leadership, and now looking at Putin's, I think he's been decided. Why not? Why not to stay forever? Um, and, uh, uh, and even again, if we, if we, for a moment, leave aside Latin America and Africa that were not, you know, uh, sort of best uh, continents for, for promoting democracy, though we could also see this, this, this some negative trends, uh, look at Europe. I mean, you have countries like Hungary that members of European Union that's, that's ideologically uh, just are getting much closer to, to um, uh, Putin than, than to the values of the of the organization that they officially belong, and uh, uh, we could see this the um, even in the countries that are just the strongholds of democracy, we could see many political forces that are openly uh, um, rooting for Vladimir Putin, just lobbying for his agenda. Who could have imagined one day that you could that that Russian KGB dictator could buy uh, uh, um, services of the former general counselor, former. Prime Minister of Finland, former Prime Minister of Italy. Uh, and I could, I could keep counting. It's a, and so many political parties that are just, you know, on, on open on his payroll, like Marine Le Pen in France, uh, uh, AFD in Germany. And um, again, this is the, the list will be too long, uh, but we could definitely see that uh, Vladimir Putin's um, record in, in, in spreading illiberal ideas uh, actually um, uh, proved to be quite successful in diminishing uh, the territory of the free world over the last 20 years, uh, last 18 years. And um, while, again, we we could look at his very aggressive foreign policy, and we'll definitely talk about uh, his aggression against uh, Ukraine and and his uh, crimes against humanity in Syria, Um, his main weapon, Just we should remember, he's not a military dictator. Of course, he has no allergy for blood. He doesn't care. He can kill people in Russia, outside of Russia. It's all started with, with apartment bombing in, 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 in Russia that most, most likely linked to the, to, to the KGB operations. Um, there were many, many political murders in Russia. There were wars against Georgia, Ukraine. Uh, um, uh, I could also mention the murders, uh, the, the, the killing of Alexander Litvinenko in, in, in London, and now the carpet bombing of Aleppo and the, and, um, uh, Putin's full support uh, and exoneration of Assad regime that keeps using chemicals against its own people. Um, but as a KGB dictator, he is more inclined to use clandestine operations. That's what he knows best, and that's why they came up with this new, new concept of hybrid war. Um, and uh, a very important element of these wars is misin- disinformation, and that's you know that's quite interesting because the <laughs> popular concept in the 90s and the beginning of the century was, oh, if we open up, if we have this free exchange of information, people coming back and forth, it will definitely help the free world. Because it will show people in the unfree world that uh, uh, it's the the advantages of of, uh, our system. And uh, it will soften the authoritarian regimes. And it will gradually move to the transition to democracy, really. So this, this two-way street actually ended up with Western politicians be, get, getting more corrupt, than, rather, than, rather than politicians on the other side getting more liberal. Um, and uh, um, we have to just understand one of, the, one of these main weapons that uh, Putin's regime has been using, uh, actually not using, probably invent, it, it, it um, has invented it. Um, ironically, uh, employing the tools invented in the free world to undermine the very foundation of the free world. Uh, it's uh, probably not surprisingly, he's just an expert in judo. So just knowing how to use the strengths of your, of, of your opponent uh, against, against um, uh, him. And uh, um, uh, people always point out to you that um, Vladimir Putin is not, um, uh, is not as dangerous as a Soviet regime because he doesn't have ideology. He doesn't promote uh, an agenda that is so alien to the interest of the free world. Uh, My argument is that it's it's the opposite. He's actually more dangerous because he doesn't have an ideology. Uh, Because the moment you have an ideology to sell, you have to convince people that it's a good idea. And everything that uh, you're trying to sell could be open to criticism. Uh, Also, if you have a very specific ideological concept, you have to ally with forces in the free world that are buying this idea. Now, Putin doesn't care which way it goes as long as it helps him to uh, destroy the status quo, as long as it helps him to spread chaos, which is very important for him because again, as a KGB guy, he knows how to divide. And just putting people against, against each other uh, by spreading uh, uh, fake news. And uh, uh, this term, fake news, uh, became very popular lately in, in, in Europe and in America. And uh, I'm surprised that it's, it's only now people are paying attention to what Putin's um, uh, cronies have been doing in, the Ru- in Russia and, and, and in, in the former Soviet Union, in the Russian-speaking universe, for more than a decade. And uh, that's, the, that's an interesting um, um, uh, weapon that, uh, that had been invented roughly in 2004, 2005, when Putin's regime had to decide how to deal with the uh, spread of internet in Russia. There are two ways. One is you follow Chinese path. Chinese wall, block it, that's it. But it's more like a Soviet-type uh, Soviet um, uh, um, reaction. So you just want people to, to, to be cut from the source of information that you think are not, are not uh, um, good for their health. Mental health, but you could do The you could you, you could use the very the very opposite strategy. You could start creating m- massive uh, um, amount of information spread by fake websites that uh, will generate so much confusion that people will eventually try to run for refuge. So they'll trying to run for a cover to find a one or two trusted sources. Now again, if you have one newspaper Pravda, telling you one story, and it's telling this is the only, the only theory that you, you, uh, you have to believe, sooner or later people will get their doubts. Maybe that's not true. Now, what about using many channels that are available through social media and splitting this message by 5%, 10%, splitting it around in many parts, which means you have constellation of websites, each of them carrying part of the message. The rest of the website is good because it tells you stories that are real. But altogether, they, they, they help you to generate, A, confusion, B, gradually pointing you to the right direction. For instance, now, if, um, if you want to um, uh, exonerate KGB from being part of the uh, apartment bombing in, in, in uh, Moscow or from other crimes so they committed in Russia, so you can, of course, have the channel one saying, no, 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 that's just all fake. You know, all this, this it's, it's, uh, it's American propaganda. It's just, you know. but you still have a very important segment of population that would not believe it. Now, what about having a couple of journalists that are giving, you know, sort of the free ride by criticizing Putin? They're all telling you Putin is corrupt. Rothenberg brothers, Kovalchuk brothers, Tim Chinko, this is all crooks. They are robbing the country. So they are just blasting Putin. But KGB had nothing to do with the apartment bombing. Do we agree that the the credibility of these people will help to undermine the criticism on KGB uh, um, among people who are just just who are not pro-Putin, but they could see, wow, yes, of course we have to trust these these, these people because they're so brave. And that could be done in many different forms. Uh, They experienced with this in Russia, and then they gradually moved abroad. Because I just realized that a lot of people will be simply caught with these with, 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 with conflicting stories. And uh, it will be difficult for them to understand what's right, what's wrong. Because at the end of the day, truth is always outnumbered. There's one way to tell the truth and many ways to lie. Uh, you don't have to, you don't have to uh, come up with, with one specific story. And basically, the message that's coming from Putin and his cronies and, his, and, and his, all these bots is simple. Truth is relative. Truth doesn't exist. Yes, maybe we're bad. Everybody's bad. We don't have democracy. There's no democracy in the world. It's all fake. And uh, spreading doubts um, is isn't quite, quite a profitable business. I often call Putin the merchant of doubts because he's he's selling these doubts. And he found that it's it, it worked in Russia. It worked in a in, in in the former Soviet republics. It worked in Europe, and it worked even in 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 the United States. So. Uh, this is one of the again that's that's one of the demonstrations. So that's the that's probably the newspaper. So that's very simple. One story, f- front page. You must believe it. Now MH17. That's the um, Malaysian Boeing that has been shot by Russians. Um, now how can you hide the truth? So yeah, you can deny everything, but there are many more many more other options that that were employed by Putin's propaganda. How about spreading different stories? Now, I can tell you that in one day, just exactly in one day, on two different channels of Russian television, they presented two different versions. One was about Ukrainian missile, another one was about Ukrainian uh, military jet. All were supported by the facts, by the experts. Within an interval of two hours, two different channels of Russian TV presented two different versions. Who cares? If you have 10 different versions, you can hide the truth. Because people say, Man, maybe this, maybe that, maybe. But with, it, with 10 different versions, what, what's right? And uh, this is only one example. It's so obvious. It's just you don't have to be a rocket scientist, actually, to understand what's really happened there. You know, sometimes you can simply use your common sense to understand who actually could use it, So because it's a very sophisticated weapon that could not use, be, cannot be used by so-called rebels. It's not just, you know, it's not, uh, uh, um, a stinger that you can give to to a rebel just you know, to 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 make to make a shot. It's just something that requires serious preparation. But if you keep pushing this 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 uh, this uh, narrative, it's being you know it's uh, it's uh, um, it's people just being lost. Many things being forgotten. By the way, we could see now that this this this, this similar tactic had been used by President of the United States now. You know, you, 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 if you have Twitter with 45 million subscribers, you can start pushing, you know, a, a narrative that can cover other things. So create chaos. Chaos helps those who don't have constructive agenda, who benefit from that, who wants to thrive in, 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 in uh, muddy waters. And uh, um, um, you know, it's but this, but this technology also requires um, pro- professional tools. And as I said, they have been working. In, uh, since 2004, 2005 on Russia, uh, we, already, we, we saw troll factories in, in, in action. And again, there's this many things you can do by, by having trolls. For instance, you can use bots to create thousands of dislikes to bring it down on YouTube. That's easy. And then you can have many comments. And uh, uh, so those of us you know, who, um, who were uh, familiar with the social media and these tricks, you know, we could immediately identify Trolls, even if they try to use some different, different uh, names and even different concepts. But sometimes you could see same sentences. Now, uh, my advantage when I worked with Mick in 2015, 2016 in America was that I could actually compare what Russian bots did in English and what they did in Russian. So then Mick will show you this the, and t- show, tell you something about technique, because it's quite interesting. And this is, a, this is the job that we could do Without you know any professional tools, but it it show it will show you the uh, the the um, the structure of the, of the operation and why it was effective. All
2: right. Hello Just take a minute to look at this. I'm not sure if you can really read the uh, amusing names that many of these uh, tw- these are all Twitter accounts, and these were all posted almost simultaneously. And this is just one screen. So these are all only that, what would fit on my laptop uh, screen at the time. There were about 200 more just for one tweet, which actually turned out to be an accident. Um, so you imagine when they actually get it correct, how many more there are. Now, if you look at this, this is um, Russian ambassador to the UN Vitaly Churkin dies, according to the foreign ministry, which is a fairly standard press release tweet from the Russian government you would think until you look at the t- the names that are connected to all of these trump deplorable maga trump american deplorable these are all pro trump accounts that were you know mostly putting out a huge amount of anti-hillary pro-trump material but somebody got the wrong link <laughs> there at the uh, office in St. Petersburg and put out this normal piece of news about the Russian uh, the Russian ambassador and spammed this out to hundreds of accounts. And then we caught this before they deleted it. That's the other problem with coming up with evidence um, of the digital world. It can all be deleted, which again, as users, as Gary was saying, from our side, we don't have the, the tools that say the people at the Twitter office or the Facebook office would have to, to see that. You can't delete their records of it. So we've been pushing for access and Gary's going to talk a little bit about that and as far as how much responsibility these uh, giant companies do or do not have in dealing with with something like this and this again is this illustration of, of, of these tools and how much faster they can you know can can spread the, the sort of the sort of material pretty much instantaneously across the world and they're much more sophisticated and I think one of the things that again Gary said that we saw it in Russian earlier, so then you see it in the States. And the Western press was completely unprepared for this. They, they didn't understand the scale. They saw, oh, there's some bad people, maybe there's some trolls. And, and you saw these journalists who think of Twitter especially as, as a barometer of the mood of the public. And so they would see this hatred, these terrible comments, normally the sort of thing that, you know, Henry Hoffman, Mega, and I Voted Trump, Hart, you know, would normally be posting, attacking, you know, saying Hillary was a murderer and all these terrible things. And they would say, oh, this is terrible. And they, they had no idea, but we'd seen it all before, just you know, in, in, in Russia, uh, doing the same sort of activities in other countries in the near abroad, in the Baltics, in Ukraine, and without necessarily promoting a specific candidate. This is the other thing that people misunderstand: is that oh, it was pro this guy. Like that's a very concern. It's just again chaos, hatred, chaos, confusion, pumping this stuff out there. They did switch very much toward Trump at, at a certain point, but early on there was stuff all all over the place. But always at the extremes, always at the extremes. There was never you know nobody's going to put out the uh, you know ten thousand spam messages about we need a very reasonable tax plan. You know that's 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 uh, not, not, no, nobody does that. It's all about you know these these guys must you know these taken out and shot and they'll never you know from Black Lives Matter over here to this you know these these sort of people here, and that's really the amplification, and it's very hard to deal with when you ha- don't have the tools to, to deal with it, and that's going to be something that is increasingly going to be a, a, an issue as far as. The rights. Who, who's in charge? Who's responsible for, for this? Is it, okay, the person who pushed the button, the person who writes the tweet, but as far as regulating it, how do you regulate this? You don't regulate a newspaper. It's somebody who may be in Russia, maybe not, sitting there at a computer on an American website, um, going over, on, appearing on the, your desk in Sweden and all over the world. So how do you control that if you can control that I mean you can get somewhat far we, they say, well, educate, educate the citizens, make sure they can just dis- it's a flood it's a flood you, you you and what Gary said earlier the the goal is not to convince you of a specific thing. the goal is to con- is to get you to turn off and just to, this is too much i'm I'm stepping away i'll go to this one source i'll go I'll, I, I I can't deal with this anymore, and eventually it it, it has that effect on on just about anyone. So again, the issues about how to regulate it, who's regulating it, and the responsibility. Um, And we just had a very good recent example. Um, We're gonna talk about this, the the Navalny video um, that, that just happened in Russia. Again, conflicts in Russia, Russian opposition, American company.
0: Um, as Big said, it's, uh, um, now it brings us back to the free world. So we understand we are you know, under attack. What are we doing? Very much nothing. So it's this. There's a big talk. So the uh, European Union has been contemplating how to spend you know, a couple of million dollars, while Putin probably spends this, this amount every day. And he's stepping up the attack. Because why not? Uh, it's not very expensive, considering you know, the open confrontation. And uh, so far, the price he's paying is, from his perspectives, is not that relevant. Um, so uh, it's it, it, as long as the weapon proves its effectiveness, dictator will will keep using it uh, because he could see that you know even with some temporary setbacks, he's he's gaining political ground, especially in Europe. So you have elections here coming in, in in six seven months, and uh, though unlike uh, some of your neighbors, you don't have. At least I'm not aware of politicians who are openly rooting for Putin. But uh, it doesn't doesn't matter because there's always a way of creating tension. There there are always ways of of spreading news that may help him just to to create enough uh, confusion and conflict in the country. I mean, refugees. So that's the biggest biggest story about about the refugee crisis here in Malmo or in, 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 I think, in Göteborg. There was Russian television immediately, big stories. So and and of course these stories have been used to uh, boost pro-Putin allies elsewhere. For instance, the the first one in America who talked about, about Sweden not being able to deal with refugees was Donald Trump, and he saw it on Fox TV, and Fox TV took it from from Russia. It just it's worked, and because the news cycle is so quick now, everything took less than you know less than 24 hours, and and now Trump mentioned that. So. Uh, they'll definitely find a way of interfering. So no doubt about it. Again, as I said, it's not if, it's when and where and how. Um, and, uh, um, and of course, in other countries, they have politicians that they're simply backing. I think it was for me, I don't want to criticize the free choice of people of Czech Republic, but electing a Putin stooge at the 50th anniversary of the Prague Spring. I, I, it's just, it's, I, I couldn't believe my eyes. Second time. President Zeman, who is openly backed by Lukoil and who is openly backed by Russian bots, we could see actually the massive campaign uh, uh, attacking the, attacking, uh, uh, the minds of all the Czechs. And message the same, refugees, immigrants, they're going to take over Europe. So and it swayed the support from a good, decent candidate into, the, into, the, into one of the most pro-Putin politicians uh, in Europe. So uh, they will definitely be finding ways of, of, of um, doing something uh, dramatic, something very destructive. And uh, we have to look for the ways to, um, to counterbalance it. And that brings us not just to the governments, but also to the multinational corporations, the tech giants. Google, Apple, Facebook, Twitter. They could do a lot. Uh, as Mick said, uh, they were very slow in recognizing the role that these platforms played in America at the elections. But in America, they were forced to recognize. Step by step, they had just to confess, <laughs> admit that they were not guilty by, by uh, um, being complicit, but guilty by, by ignoring the threat and ignoring many warnings that America is, is a free country and they the, the American-based uh, uh, companies they have to demonstrate that they care about interests of American public. Uh, also, they always, always uh, are very adamant in defending the interests of a customer. So Apple, if you remember, Apple fought hard against uh, uh, um, the Justice Department. I think it was even under Obama yes. uh, after the San Bernardino, uh, Bernardino shooting. They didn't let uh, 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 FBI to actually open to, 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 to have access to the back door of, of, of iPhone because it's Privacy. Uh, how about applying the same rules to Russia, or China, or Iran, or Turkey? Countries where information that these giant companies released to the, to the dictators is not just uh, detrimental for the interests. It puts many people in grave danger. But we could see time and again, they all bent to the rules imposed by dictators. While pretending that they defend the interests of, of uh, 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 individuals in the free world, uh, just big mention the story, the story where uh, Alexei Navalny, doing this investigation, actually got access to this video of a prostitute uh, with Terry Basque and one of the deputy prime ministers. Basically, it's it's an amazing story. So if you didn't, if there's a chance, watch it, because it uh, tells you, a about about the collusion, because in July 2016, the. Uh, one of the most pro-Putin oligarchs, the closest to Putin, Deripaska, and one of the key members of the government, so Medvedev's deputy, who was many years Putin's deputy, discussed how to influence American elections. So, and they were so arrogant, they discussed it, uh, having uh, the person with little trust next to them. Somehow she recorded it. uh, Now, it was a video. And of course, a a court, if you may call it a court, from nowhere in Russia, not even in Moscow court, but somewhere just in in the countryside, made a decision to block it. And Russian uh, officials threatened YouTube to be blocked in Russia if they don't remove it. And yes, what Google did? They backed off. They, they demanded Navalny to remove it. So how about calling their bluff? How about forcing these tech giants to play by the same rules they play in America? You want to block YouTube in Russia? Be my guest. You want to block Facebook? Let's see what happens next. Because the social apathy among young people in Russia very much based on the fact they could find refuge in social media. You want to block everything? Try. Call their bluff. This is we are at war, and we have big corporations that are trying to make quick buck in Russia, China, and other places by basically selling us down the river. And can can we force them? Yes, we can. They are American-based corporations. They, by the way, have big business in Europe. So how about free world, America and and Europe, so getting together and just making making sure that these corporations will not be endangering the lives of people who are not lucky to be born in the free world? Yes, when Google collects your data, it's not pleasant. But unfortunately, we live in a world where data collection is, is, is inevitable. I think it's just it's uh, sometimes people just don't people get it wrong because they they're so happy with a new iPhone making this, this the uh uh it's with, um, with um, face recognition, so and and uh, and then they just you know they complain about the, them just being identified by by in some databases or if you allow Alexa to make you know uh, to make uh, all the purchases via Amazon, so you, just, you should re- realize that so we do so many things for our convenience that make us more, more exposed. It's a problem we have to deal with recognizing that in the free world, we have means to uh, limit the damage. But in the countries like Russia or China or Iran and many others, when this information is available to KGB or other intelligence services, a protecting dictatorship, that puts lives of, of, of ordinary people in, in, in immediate danger. And, uh, and I, want, I want to make sure that uh, the policy of double standards um, uh, is, is 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 no longer there, uh, but it also requires political will, and that's now we um, we go from uh, uh, corporations to 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 the governments, and uh, while the governments uh, almost everywhere it's in every uh, uh, European country or in in, in uh, America they recognize the fact of uh, Russian interference, we still have I don't know, call it ostrich policy. We don't want to recognize that this threat is imminent and existential. Even after all the data about Russia's interference in, in, in European elections have been revealed, even after Russia's ag- aggression in Ukraine and other things that the Putin regime did, uh, for the, I don't know, Mogherini is the, technically the foreign minister of European Union. She hasn't listed Russia as a top 10 threats that European Union is facing. It's the it's it's a craziest idea of trying to find common ground. We have we have to find common ground. Where common ground? On the on on, on uh, in in Aleppo, or in other Syrian cities decimated by Russian by Russian jets and by Assad chemicals. Um, I don't know. It just it's this. Every day brings more and more uh, news about the criminal nature of the regime. I understand that the Swedish press paid little attention to the latest scandal with uh, with. Um, uh, drug trading from Russian embassy in Buenos Aires? Very little. It's the, just, just yeah. give the story, because Mick yeah. spent many years in Buenos Aires, so yeah. it's the-
2: this, this is the, if you really want to see, you'd think everything would be about the World Cup right now in, in Argentina, but the front page news for the last week has been, uh, you know, this drug find and this drug news, and Argentina is not a big drug trafficking country, it's kind of out of the way, and the, the two things, the location and the quantity, you think, oh, okay, the embassy, some bad, one bad apple, one bad guy, two bad, what was it, 400 kilos of cocaine in the Russian embassy in Argentina. And then they found how it got transported, and it was transported on the equivalent of the president's plane, not the Argentine president, you know, the, the, the Russian president. And... I mean, this is, this is so staggering because now, now the Argentines, now they're in a fight arguing with each other with the Russians about who's really you know, more, more to blame for this, and they're both trying to take credit for discovering the crime, which is kind of hilarious. But what's amazing is as far as the sense of who comes up with that idea and what they have to be thinking about what the consequences might be. And this gets to the key word on what is essentially a criminal regime, which is impunity.
0: Yeah, also, also that's the just again, let's use common sense. 400, actually, to be precise, that's 389 kilos of, of cocaine. <laughs> now, it's, the, it's, um, it's, a com- it's a commercial product worth roughly $50 million. Now, as I say, use common sense. Can you send this, ki- this, this amount of goods? To untru- to the to the untrusted source. You don't do it first time. So that means that this 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 route has been already tested. Because nobody, I mean it's his business. So you don't send $50 million goods to the source where you're not sure that you know it works clockwise it's, uh, clockwise. Uh, and then as, 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 as Mick mentioned, yes, it's the, the, the plane. Of course, they, they already replaced cock, uh, uh cock with with uh, baby, partner, baby powder, uh, because they wanted to find out who actually is meeting in who is who will be meeting plane in Moscow, and then Russian authorities stepped in, and it was a fight between Russian Foreign Ministry and the KGB, just you know sharing the blame. But then you, Argentinians released also the, um, uh, the the phone conversations they tapped, and it's found that it's not only Russian embassy in Buenos Aires, but also in Montevideo, in Uruguay. And they were very just, and they keep actually releasing the information, you know, piece by piece to show that it's, it's a network. Okay, we know that in the Soviet Union, the GRU, uh, that's the, uh, the military intelligence, had been using uh, uh, um, embassies to, to trade some, some, some drugs in relatively small quantities yeah. to, Opium, to, 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 yeah. to heroin store. out of Afghanistan. Heroin, yes, yes. So, yeah, heroin from Afghanistan, for instance, so that's the, to support their operations. But now it seems like, you know, that's, it's, the, it's an industrial operation. Again, it's Argentine. A uh, market is not number one, so that's what you look at the map. So that's that's not doesn't you know uh, 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 it doesn't come first you know on top of the list when you think about, about uh, drug trade. Yeah. What was uh, the joke about the mafia? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, yeah, the, the joke in Russia yeah. so that is that every country has its own mafia, but in Russia, mafia has its own country. <laughs> that was uh, now. <laughs> If you keep trying finding common ground with, with, with uh, this regime, so it will consider this as a sign of weakness. So um, Obama had great intentions. And we know where it normally leads. You know, this is the way. Uh, so, um, and he paved the way to, to, to hell for, 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 for many countries. I mean, Syria is the most uh, obvious example. Um, and uh, we could actually see how Putin's regime uh, treated um, is Obama's uh, America's policy of reset? Yeah, it's you couldn't imagine the President of the United States being more friendly to Russia, but it hasn't stopped the anti-American propaganda, which is twenty-four-seven. So that's, that's also going back now to to to, to the uh, core of Russian propaganda machine. It's uh, it's America bashing twenty-four-seven. Uh, everything that happens in the world, it's just it's it's caused by the by the American American. Uh, Uh, undeclared war on Russia. (laughs) My mother is 80 now, she's turning 81 next month, and uh, she was born under Stalin. So she she still lives in Moscow, she heard everything, from Stalin to Khrushchev to uh, um, uh, Brezhnev, Andropov, Gorbachev. So she heard and saw all forms of Soviet propaganda. And uh, she keeps telling me, though I sometimes if, I, if my stomach allows me, I just watch a little bit of these programs, though it's just a concentrated amount of hatred, so dangerous for you uh, in big quantities. She tells me it's, the, it's probably the worst she ever seen and heard in her life. Because while Soviet propaganda, it was a fake, but it was more of you know, positive fake. So sometimes in the future, we'll be, you know, it's the, the brotherhood, sisterhood. We all just you know, how live in the world you know, with social justice. Putin's propaganda is more like a cult of death. It's nothing positive. It's just, we are surrounded by the enemies. And we have uh, somehow who just connected. It's similar to North Korea. Of course, it's just it's I don't want us to to make the immediate parallels, but but conceptually, it's it's all about hatred. So it's all about you know Russia being attacked and Vladimir Putin is the only white knight who can defend Mother, mother Russia against world evil. There's an interesting, it's while you know I'm I'm very Skeptical about any polls in Russia when you ask about individuals, because the moment you ask, you know, what do you think about Putin? So you expect people born in the Soviet Union who know uh, who, uh, and who still remember what it was KGB and what is KGB today, uh, even under a different name. They will not be very. Um, they will not be inclined to share their thoughts, <laughs> to, with a stranger who is calling them or knocking their door. But when people are asked about general things, they could be more open. And and one poll actually caught my eye recently. It's about enemies of Russia. So people being asked about enemies. So who they believe are the enemies of, the, of, of Russia? So you guess they, they should be pretty open about it. And um, the interesting thing is that you, know, you can compare this to 2000, because this, this, uh, every five years, this, the, the poll was taken. So you can look at the time when Putin took over and today. So, guess what is country number one by big margin? United States of America, 68% of those. It's not whole population. 68% of those who actually accepted the fact that Russia had enemies. So that's. But it's still it's it's, it's pretty big, big number. Um, now, what was the number of those who thought America was an enemy 18 years ago? 21%. Uh, anything to do with propaganda? Yeah. Do you think this connection? Now, what is the number two country on the list?
2: Not Syria. Right,
0: bingo! Absolutely, twenty-eight percent. Ukraine. Of course, 20, when Putin took over, it was zero. Nobody thought, in, 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 in his or her mind, thought Ukraine could be an enemy. But now, Ukraine is a big enemy. Now, this is interesting. But I bet nobody will, be, will, will guess this, the number three in the list, which is I just—I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw it. I give you a try, the try. Number three, it may be, I can help you, organization. Bravo! European Union, this toothless organization. Yes, 15% because it's being mentioned. NATO, NATO has 6% because NATO is not being mentioned. So America 68, NATO 6, it tells you about cognitive dissonance. So it's all about things being mentioned on television. NATO, America and NATO is basically should be the same. No, NATO is almost not. But now, in 2000, when Putin took over, what was the number one threat in the minds of Russians? Obviously, Islamic terrorism. 40%. What is Islamic terrorism today? By the way, Russia is fighting in Syria. We have still attacks. 4%. It doesn't exist on television. Mm -hmm. So when you just look at this, you just simply recognize the power of this brainwashing machine. That people simply follow these lines. and And this is the world they created. And that's why Putin needs, you know, like it's, it's, he needs raw meat to throw, just to 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 feed these animal instincts, because otherwise, you know, people will start asking, oh, what about Russia?" If anybody, you know, just you know follows Russian news, Russian talk shows, they don't talk about Russia. You know, you, you, I hear more about Russian American talk shows than on, on, on Russian talk shows, because there's nothing positive. Because life is not, you know, is not getting better as was promised. The living standards have been steadily declining. Um, economy is, is is in tatters. And uh, uh, again, Putin has nothing to report. So that's why Russia just moved away. Every every news program starts with, you know, Ukraine or Syria or, of course, America, America and America. And then some other countries just, you know, now you can have North Korea. So uh, so they have some news, but it's, there's always a conspiracy. Russian athletes have been disqualified because of the cheating conspiracy, and many other things, you know, that that, that simply uh, fit to this uh, to this to the uh, um, to this narrative, and uh, uh, and I think it's just you know we, we just reached a point where uh, uh, the free world has to make this conscious choice, and and uh, I understand that it's the uh, the language of appeasement is always a nice one. That's why, you know, I just put in the, the title the uh, uh the the, the limits, yes, the uh, the limits is basically the, the end, the end of engagement. But appeasement always sounds nice. And uh, it's amazing that while having so many painful, horrible lessons of the twentieth century, knowing what what is the outcome of appeasement. We keep insisting that, one way or another, we can appease the dictator. Dictators do not stop until they're stopped. Dictators do not ask why. They always ask why not. And uh, so far, again, this is the, the Putin's, uh, Putin's um, uh, ex- experience with the free world tells him that, you know, he could test here, test there. But at the end of the day, so he he's still, he's still um, uh, um, overall, he, he sees himself as a winner because he keeps this aura of invincibility uh, surrounding him very much alive. And that's the, that's the rule for every dictator. Someone who is in power for 18 years and who has no plans to go anywhere, uh, and who knows that political survival equals physical survival. Because you know, dictators who stay in power for so long, they just don't retire. <laughs> so this is the, but well, then retirement means either natural death or God knows. Uh, So when people ask me, so how will, uh, can I just, you know, envision the end of Putin? I said, "Mm, there's bad news and good news. Bad news, I don't know how and when it happens. Good news, Putin also doesn't know that. (laughs) Uh, um, And um, and, uh, um, Putin recognizes that he can make all sorts of crimes. He can uh, uh, even commit mistakes, except one. He cannot afford to look weak. The moment dictator looks weak, he'll be dealt by his own cronies. So uh, and that uh, brings me to an interesting just uh, sort of philosophical uh, issues That's is what I hear all the time. It's the, it started, I think, it's, it's under Obama, and now it's being continued. Oh, Mr. Kasparov, do you think that Putin is a good chess player? <laughs> now, my response is that you know, I, I, I say that I, I feel I have to defend the integrity of my game. <laughs> um, and uh, it's not just not about Putin personally, but it's in general, it's about dictators that are not good chess players, because chess is a 100% transparent game. You could see all the resources that you have and the opponent has. So you may n- not be aware about uh, their in- your opponent's intentions, but you know exactly the material that could be used to do harm. Dictators hate transparency. They prefer to play other games. So that's why I always say Putin is more like a poker player. Because in poker, you can win by having a weak hand. If if you're willing to bluff, to raise the stakes, and if your opponent, opponents, keep folding cards, what's the big deal? So even with a pair of five, if you have good nerves, and he does, and enough money, and he does, So you can keep raising the stakes and bluffing. And if nobody wants to call you bluff, you win. Um, But it's also um, chess is a strategic game. We know that. And uh, dictators do not have long-term strategy. They simply can't afford it. Because strategy for them is a tactic of survival. It's all about, I survive tonight, tomorrow morning, and then we'll see what happens. Because it's just working, you know, with a survival algorithm, they can, you know, they can always succeed. Because from Putin's perspective, or from Bashar Assad's perspective, uh, Obama in 2011 said Assad must go. Really? Where is Assad? Where is Obama? (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, Putin is a big beneficiary. Because when Obama said Assad must go, Putin said, uh uh-uh. Can you imagine how many points he scored in the eyes of other dictators, or even in his own cronies in in, in Moscow? He defied American president, and he won. Not because he was so strong, because sometimes your strength is is a default of opponent's weakness, because there was no political will to oppose him. There was no political will to stop chemical attacks against against Syrian people. And we saw these attacks now became almost permanent. Democracy, contrary to the, to, the, um, uh, uh, to the dictatorship to unfree world, in democracy's strategy is the, is the key element that makes democracies uh, um, more resilient and, and, and eventually winning uh, at the end of the day. Uh, because you can start policies. You can uh, um, introduce policies that could be fruitful when you are not in the office. So it's about continuity. It's about institutions that you can rely on. And uh, that brings us to the biggest problem. So we don't have this continuity anymore. Um, when you look at the United States, so this is this. From Harry Truman to Ronald Reagan, it was fairly consistent foreign policy. You could have Democrat or Republican in the White House, but you knew that the changes would be no within the range. People could rely. And I'm not here just to make big comments, but if people could rely on America as a force. Now, since 1991, American foreign policy depends exclusively on who is in the White House. It's more like a pendulum, which is, yeah, it has a very bad effect on the world because it, uh, it uh, m- seeds confusion among friends, and it definitely emboldens the enemies. Um, and when people say, oh, how can we oppose Vladimir Putin? He's so strong, really. So um, let's go back to the beginning of the Cold War. In 1948, Harry Truman faced not Vladimir Putin, for God's sake, Joseph Stalin. Are you going to tell me that Stalin was less dangerous than, 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 than Vladimir Putin or less powerful? And uh, there was a big crisis where just you know, it's a 70 years ago when Stalin decided to take over West Berlin. By all calculations, it was this, a dead end for the free world to defend West Berlin. And Truman decided, by the way, against advice of some of, 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 of some of his generals, to defend it because he recognized that it was it was uh, um, crucial to uh, um, rebuild the spirit of the free world, just to show that America cared uh, for for people who were who were living under under um, uh, uh, soy thump and uh, that um, the Soviet Union, there were limits of Soviet interference. And by the way, Stalin hasn't, in, uh, for 11 months, when American and British planes kept supplying West Berlin that was under siege with, with, with food and with everything, you know, just, just everything that they needed just to survive, Stalin decided uh, against shooting down a single plane. Why? Because dictators they have very strong animal instinct. They know where they can cross the line and when they shouldn't cross the line. And Stalin knew that. Mm-mm. That was just the uh, American president was, was the wrong person to, to, uh, 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 to, to mess with. Uh, and uh, we could see time and again, from the World War II to the Cold War, from Truman to Kennedy to Reagan, the strengths and deterrence worked, while appeasement always pushed the world to the brink of, brink of disaster. And, and the price for solving the crisis was always higher and higher. So. Um, there are no easy choices now, but unfortunately, you know, we live in a world where you can hear, since they call us warmongers, I call them peacemongers. Where the peacemongers are shouting, oh, it's impossible, 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 oh, it's too late. And when people you know ask us, you know, so what can we do now? Now, 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 so wait a second, Is this as a professional player, I want you just to look back and to analyze the mistakes we made, and then to start thinking about the future. Don't pretend that everything that we've done before had nothing to do with the crisis we have today. Iranian nuclear crisis and Korean nuclear crisis, they are just going all back to Clinton years. In 1994, there was this botched deal with North Korea that basically saved the regime, the worst you know, uh, human rights abuser in the world, and provided a you know, lifeline for them, not only to survive, but also to continue the research. And in 1995, Bill Clinton had a bipartisan resolution of the US Congress authorizing him to threaten Yeltsin to cut American financial aid to Russia, which was crucial at that time, if Russia hasn't stopped its nuclear, uh, transfer of nuclear technology to Iran. And Clinton decided, ah, let's, you know, let's hug Yeltsin, and he hasn't used this. So this crisis could have been stopped in 1995, because without this first transfer of technology, Iran would, ne- would never make uh, so much progress. And uh, even now, when we look at the North Korean crisis, do you seriously believe that this wretched country with no economy could make such an immense progress in in, uh, uh, developing uh, nuclear nuclear technology and missile technology without foreign assistance? North Korea, in less than three years, going from the bucket of nuclear waste to almost hydrogen bomb and, and, and missiles that can reach the United States. India recently tested the the, the missile, which is half of the range of North Korean, India. Can we compare this this dwarf and is one of the most powerful countries in the world with, uh, with spending tens of billions of dollars and having millions of engineers? No, India is not as sophisticated as North Korea. So who could be a supplier of this technology? China, I doubt very much. China has no interest of this crisis. Of course, there's only one the one person who has the interest of spreading the, 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 this chaos. Because it's another bargaining chip. Chaos in Syria, chaos in, in, in Korea. This is the way to survive. This is the, this is the breathing uh, uh, air for, for a dictator. And as long as we don't recognize the fact that every year, every month, every day Putin stays in the office, he will keep creating conflicts. And it's, not, it's no longer a Russian problem, <laughs> as we have been saying for years. It's everybody's problem, and we should start, you know, looking for uh, for solutions uh, instead of pretending that we can uh, appease a dictator and just and and, and push the envelope to uh, uh, to the next generation. Thank you. <laughs>
1: I think I speak on behalf of everyone here when I thank you for your animated and very well-informed uh, presentation and speech, Mr. Garry Kasparov. We have um, roughly 15 minutes for some questions and answers. Um, and uh, we have some microphones uh, that are ready. And I see a few hands, for example, there in the air, Tomas, for example. Um, and uh, please uh, let me know. OK. Yes.
3: Thank you. I'm Thomas Bertelman, a retired ambassador. Um, in the last days of January, Washington received a visit um, by the heads of the three Russian special agencies. Uh, it is said it has never happened before, at the same time at least. And the night after, or the day after, The sanctions list that Congress had commissioned in August last year is widely reported to have been changed uh, and watered down to what they call the anodyne telephone book list. Mm -hmm. Um, Your colleague, Andrei Pjontkovsky, has written uh, extensively about this and I would be interested if, if you share his views or if you think what happened.
0: Microphone. Um, uh, yes, as you said, uh, the visit was very unusual, unique, and when th- such things happen, you mm, you can smell smell the rat. And uh, um, um, I don't want us to, to be uh, so uh, uh, forthcoming as, as Andre, <laughs> uh, but. Naturally, this visit has something to do with dramatic change. I, here, I, here is where I, I differ with Andre. I'm not sure it's, it's, it's with the list or with the publication of the list because we don't, we don't know what actually is, what names and what measures are suggested in the now secret part of the report that is delivered to the Congress. Um, my educated guess is that all that accomplished is to prevent publication of the list, making these measures and names public, because that's what Putin is afraid of uh, 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 most. Um, now the irony is that this, uh, the 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 phone book and the Forbes list that they just simply used, that had nothing to do with just with with, with uh, a real idea of dividing Russian elite and actually having you know some of them trying to uh, look for refuge uh, in the free world. Uh, so. Um, uh, may have some interesting consequences because there's growing pressure in America to impose sanctions on everybody that, who's mentioned. <laughs> so I don't know the outcome since uh, uh, Trump's own um, Minister of um, uh, Finance, Mnuchin, several times said that sanctions would be imposed on this. On this people. So we get to see the outcome because clearly we understand that Trump and his entourage are trying to water down the sanctions. Trump, for some reasons, he is not just simply having favorite opinion of Putin, he's trying to undermine uh, all uh, um, American measures to protect American democracy uh, uh, against what his own CIA director said, inevitable Russian interference in 2018, which is a bit odd that American intelligence, you know, keeps shouting, almost shouting, about uh, next round of Russian interference. And at the same time, they, conf- they confess That there were no instructions from the White House how to stop it. So in one of my tweets, I said, you know, you can hardly expect uh, um, um, any any um, um, uh, complaints uh, from the beneficiary of the crime, especially (laughs) if he expects to benefit from the same crime again. (laughs) Um, uh, But um, I think that from my, you know, from my, um, it's I would call gut feelings by by following the, uh, the latest development of American political life, I think it will be almost impossible to stop this avalanche of evidence that is, that is being presented. And I don't know for how long Trump will be, will be able to actually uh, protect Putin from public uh, um, uh, exposure uh, of, of uh, these sanctions, because Putin knows the moment the sanctions are being announced, he would be in big trouble because it will violate his, um, his bond with, uh, with uh, his cronies and henchmen in Russia. It's like in every mafia, uh, there's a full loyalty to the boss in exchange for full protection. That's why Putin was so uh, so aggressive in, 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 in opposing Magnitsky law. I remember when the first time Magnitsky bill was introduced in the United States, many people who opposed it used this argument, ah, it's about the, Second, third tier of Russian officials, who cares? No, the mafia boss who receives 100% loyalty must protect every hitman. And that's why it was so painful. And that's why the spread of Magnitsky law to Canada and then to now the Baltic countries, it's it's taken so seriously. Hopefully, Sweden will join the club. So just to sending the message that uh, crimes committed by Putin's cronies in Russia, violating human rights and stealing money and laundering money abroad, cannot be, you know, uh, Taken lightly anymore by European Union. Thank
1: you. Okay. We have one more question here from
4: Georgian Ambassador Malhaska Mr. Kasparov probably you know that chess was very popular in Georgia and accordingly you (laughs) too. So even I remember your words when after your victory, you dedicated your victory to your own native city. So I belong to that generation. So question regarding and I want to thank you for mentioning Georgia because sometimes it seems to me that we are forgotten. But anyway, thank you. So, question regarding, even partly you touched this uh, democracy in Russia. So, on one one side, is the opposition democratic? Secondly, if they are ready to develop democratic institutions, in institutional democracy. What we experience, the shortage of institutional democracy. On the other hand, readiness of the population to accept this. And second question uh, is regarding the role of religion. or, oh, More precisely, Orthodox Church, because imagine now, in five Orthodox countries, with three of them, Russia has a conflict. If we remember last year, exactly last year, the statement of Patriarch of Russia, when he called Russia <laughs> to protect or to defend Russians' interest in Syria, really sounds... So there are two questions. I do not know
0: how correct I am,
4: but...
0: <laughs> Thank you. Really, there are many more questions in these two questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I you know I always recall Georgia because that was the first naked aggression. Um, actually, in August 2008, I had an editorial in the Wall Street Journal, and I said next would be uh, Ukraine. Uh, not because I had a crystal ball and just a special Nostradamus ability. I simply look at the map. And, and it's kind of, it's, 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 it's uh, since, you know, you mentioned uh, uh, aggression against, against your country, it's, it's, it's again, wars are uh, uh, emphasizing that, uh, set aside Baltic countries that, that, that left and just, you know, joined the European Union, and then NATO, two countries in the former Soviet Union outside of the Baltics, that wanted to join Europe and NATO have been attacked by Putin, Georgia and Ukraine. Surprise. So because Putin understands, you know, it's a, it's a, if you have neighboring countries, and especially Ukraine in this case, uh, are moving, in, in, moving westward, showing that the, 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 there is another way for people, you know, from, let's say, from Russian-speaking universe, that could be very damaging uh, for, for his chances to survive, survive uh, um, politically. But um, you know, I don't think we should waste time talking about democratic opposition in Russia. It's that, look, Putin is a dictator and dictators, they don't tolerate any opposition. So you have one man dictatorship that openly embraces fascist ideology. And uh, uh, the, anybody who operates in Russia does so because Putin, for a time, for a time being, thinks you know, he, could, he could somehow benefit from that. But the moment it goes too far, like with Boris Nemtsov or with Navalny, you know it's being it's being shut down, yes, some of the Russian opposition i you know agree with you uh, are those who are opposing Putin. They have different views about um, russia Ru- Russian empire, so I strongly oppose these views. I believe that future of Russia uh, um, cannot be secured without total uh, total uh, uh, um, uh, rejection of imperial past, so it's the russia should uh, walk away from all the territories that have been occupied and just restore the territorial integrity both of Georgia and and Ukraine. It's actually not necessarily done for your country or Ukraine, it's for Russia. Because you cannot pretend that uh, uh, while blasting Putin for crimes inside Russia, you ignore the fact that Putin was a part or perpetrator of of, of crimes uh, committed outside uh, outside of Russia. And uh, speaking about the Orthodox Church, look, it's another branch of KGB. So let's be objective. You know, the patriarch—I don't know his rank. I think it's a very high one. Yeah, uh, but it's just the way he, he has been operating It's just—it's it's promoting the same agenda. It's a corrupt organization that you know that uses the unfortunately uses religion as the as a cover-up to promote the same imperial, aggressive agenda. And uh, they're the direct beneficiaries. They have, they have phenomenal uh, uh, benefits by 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 playing alongside with Putin. And that's why we could see that with more aggressive policies adopted by Putin regime. Petrarch simply, you know, uh, um, sings the same songs and by, by even talking now about Syria. He'll talk about anything else. He just doesn't care. And, and I think that is when you look at, at Russia, I think the, the religion there is not, uh, is not a real factor. Just, you know, you remember the Pussy Riot and when they just, you know, they had big scandal and they eventually put these two girls in, in prison for two years uh, and the Patriarch had a special, you know, uh, gathering bl- blasting them. A week ago, an Islamic radical, during Orthodox uh, uh, um, holidays, shot five women in Russian in Orthodox church in Dagestan. Patriarch didn't say a word. That tells you about religious factor. He doesn't care. So they just they 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 look uh, at every uh, at every action that may jeopardize they they their group in power they don't care about people they are not you know those who are just who even i don't think that even believes in, in in Christ
1: all right um we have time for one more question from the auditorium unless there is one i might Martin. yes what oh, there is one all right excellent Thank
3: you very much
1: my name is <laughs> Stefan Appelgen um i I'd like to thank you for coming to Stockholm, for this very interesting presentation. I tried to find your book in the bookstores in Stockholm on my way here,
2: but I did not read. So, probably sold out. Um,
1: you mentioned but Georgia. He, he
2: bought them all, he bought them all. Yeah, I guess He's so. Him.
1: They, they will be for, they, we will be selling his books outside here, and you'll have time to even talk to the author. Hoping for that. Um, you mentioned Georgia, you mentioned Ukraine, of course. Uh, I don't expect you to foresee the next territorial conquest for, for Russia, but what aspects and what signs should we be looking for for predicting the conflict?
0: Um, it's um, it's hard to actually uh, to to see that's the um, the further territorial expansion. Because now um, um, somehow the Putin bluff uh, um, uh, westward um, hasn't worked out as he expected. Because uh, there was a big debate about, uh, in the free world about uh, the Baltics. And, uh, and I think Putin expected that at one point he could hear some uh, positive vibrations that would allow them uh, allow him to start a hybrid war in Estonia or Latvia. And if you remember uh, uh, Newt Gingrich, the former Speaker of the House, uh, who was very close to Trump during the campaign, he even called Tallinn a suburb of St. Petersburg. Um, So those were put in expectations. But contrary to these expectations, the United States and NATO, even despite the Trump's claims that NATO was obsolete, decided that NATO perimeter must be defended. And uh, now, uh, with the appearance of NATO troops in, in, in the Baltic countries, I don't think Putin would be willing to, to 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 test NATO resolve because it's it's a different kind of conflict. By the way, they tried to actually test NATO NATO and American troops in Syria, and you know what's happened. So the moment they crossed the demarcation line, they have been decimated. Americans didn't want to to this conflict. They warned Russians many times against doing that. They checked with Russian military authorities if they were Russians. Of course, the answer was no. Yes, is this the no Russian national? So as you know, the result was at least 200, 200 Russian nationals who were, try, who were working there with Syri- Syrians and Iranians. They have been decimated by, by Americans within a couple of hours. So uh, um, uh, I think Putin, will, Putin now is just, you know, I think is studying the map, and, and this map doesn't include only uh, or exclusively sort military actions, because militarily Russia is weak. So we just understand it. Compared to the Soviet Union, it's not the same power. Of course, there's, there's, there, there are nukes, but when you look at the, at the military might, so it's not as impressive, and I don't think that Putin will, will, will ever test NATO resolve uh, uh, in, 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 in a serious confrontation. But he is far more successful using other means. So uh, the fake news uh, and uh, not tanks, but banks. So you should look more at the Putin's aggression uh, trying to, to go under the skin of, of, of the free world. So using banks and, 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 and means of communications and corrupt politicians to spread his influence and to weaken the resolve of the, of the free world to, um, to resist his pressure. I think he will be concentrating now, I believe, on Italian elections. That's important. Swedish elections are also important, but Italy is a country that potentially could have the government that will be against European Union. So any, any chance of having another Brexit uh, could, yeah, it could be definitely welcomed by Putin. So I think he's now studying European map and thinking, so what can he do just to, to uh, uh, um, maximize the effect of, the, of this uh, propaganda of hatred that had been successfully spreading around? And he already had many allies. And I, I'm sure he'll try to utilize them in the most effective way. Orban, Zeman, uh, 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 Kurt, Austrian chancellor, Kurt Sebastian, so they all are just you know, Putin friends. And many friends uh, are in, in European countries, not in power. But OK, Gabriel, the Minister of Foreign Affairs in Germany. So that's the step. That, that many people that, that have great sympathies to, 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 to Putin, for some reasons. And also, I think Putin will be very busy now trying to make sure that he could uh, tie Europe to Russian oil and gas supply, especially to gas supply. So that's that's a big game. So. Um, this is a problem. He's not playing only game in one dimension. So it's, 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 it's a multi-dimensional game. But uh, the, again, what is important for him is to make sure that he looks strong enough not to be challenged from within. Because he knows dictator who is not capable to protect the interests of his gang is being removed. And he's more afraid of, of I'm sure, his own entourage than about uh, uprising on the street.
1: With those words, we thank you again. Awesome. <laughs>
0: Find us on www.ui.sc. We are also on Facebook and on Twitter with UISweden. And we're also on YouTube where you can watch our seminars and interviews.